Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second episode of the 2020 season of the second season of the Spin Move podcast. I'm your host, Samir, along with my co-hosts, Nathan and Paolo. How are you guys doing on this mid-January uh, Wednesday? Doing very good. A lot of sports news to cover. Yeah, tons tons of sports news to cover, but otherwise pretty good. It's been pretty warm today. It's been pretty warm lately, so weather's been a little weird, but... Uh, the sports has also been very interesting, so I'm I'm very curious to get especially into somewhere down in Texas. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And actually, before we start the podcast, uh, I don't usually make um, these these statements, but I thought um, I'd go ahead and say something about this. Um, obviously, down in Australia, you guys might know that there's uh, several wildfires that um, have. Destroyed Ex- yeah, homes, exploded. Exploded yeah. across the country, um, across the whole country. Um, it's actually um, killed about over uh, 500 million um, uh, species um, in Australia, um, not counting obviously the homes that have been destroyed. Um, so, if you guys are able um, to support in some way, um, or if you're able to help in some way, I definitely would urge for that. Um, obviously, there's a lot going on in that country. They need a lot of help right now. Um, so that's, I just would like to say that um, hopefully um, they get as much help as they could possibly get. Um, and yeah, just keep your thoughts and your prayers um, for those people in Australia. Yep, it's it's a that's terrible right. situation there. It's due to the climate change, rising temperatures, uh, drier weather, I think they extreme. Hmm? For the fires. I think so. So there was um, about, I can't. Don't quote me on this, but I've heard that there was around 100 people arrested um, for the fires responsible in some way for the fires. And a lot of people believe that they're, you know, they're making a statement. I don't know. Honestly, I haven't read enough um, information on it. Please correct us. That is what I've heard. So, yeah, if you guys know more in the comments, please correct us um, and state your sources and everything like that. But other than that, it's more just, you know, you know, for hoping that those people um, uh, recover, the species are able to recover right now. They're in the midst of saving a lot of the species. Like um, the kangaroos and the koalas exactly, and whatnot. Yeah, exactly. So we're hoping that there's a recovery. It's not going to, I don't think it's going to be speedy, but we're just hoping that there's um, a good recovery for um, the nation of Australia. Well, I mean, a lot of people in the U.S. have recovered from natural disasters. Why can't Australia? Exactly. It's yep. very true. It's very possible. So, uh, on the Spin Move podcast, where we give our uh, spin on the week's worth of sports news, and you can find us on uh, Twitter at Spin Move Podcast, where we produce an episode once per week every weekend. We record on every Wednesday or so. You can also find us on uh, Spotify, on uh, Apple Podcasts, on Google Play, all sorts of those, all three media. And, uh, yeah, pass this on to your friends, uh, family, members, colleagues, and whatnot so we, to get the word out on our uh, weekly podcast. And so we have a lot of topics to discuss, including yes. two retirements, NFL retirements, one very surprising, one not so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, big punishment levied by the Major League Baseball that on Monday and uh, talking about uh, – which will lead into our Hall of Famers, uh, MLB Hall of Famers, that will be inducted for 2020. The announcement will be made next week, so we'll discuss who we think should uh, be inducted. 
and then talk about what happened on uh, Monday with the national championship game between two undefeated teams in LSU and Clemson. Moving on to the NFL and uh, recapping the divisional round among the eight teams and the preview of the NFL Conference Championships, followed by uh, college basketball and uh, NBA uh, odds and ends. To start off our podcast, we have to talk about the big uh, elephant in the room and the big breaking news that that Antonio Gates retired. <laughs> Antonio Gates retired. I thought he was retired. That's the big, the big news that we want to share with you guys today. Yep, I mean... Uh, I thought he was retired because he didn't play at all last season. I mean, yeah, he did retire in the 2018 season. Yep. Uh, came back came because back. Uh, the Hunter, Henry. Hunter Henry wasn't fully recovered, so they needed a tight end. So he came back for one year. He didn't He didn't have a play as much because of his age, health. Mm-hmm. His speed is not as real sure. good as what it was, once yeah. was. So, yeah, he decided to call it quits. But... Uh, Joking aside, it's uh, Luke Keekley's sudden retirement. So what are you guys' thoughts on the uh, – first, uh, I just wanted to say that Luke Keekley, uh he uh, retired after eight seasons and multiple All-Pro all awards, and he was one of the best, if not the best, uh, major um, middle linebackers in the league. And he had suffered about uh, five to seven reported concussions in, with his time in uh, Carolina. And – he said in a in a somber uh, video that he's like enough and is enough. He couldn't put himself through in to much more of these situations for the foreseeable future. So, your thoughts on the uh, big breaking news last night? So, first last year we had the sudden retirement of Andrew Luck, and now we had the sudden retirement of Luke Keekley. Mm-hmm. Very surprising and. Um, uh, it sucks. It surprised me at first because this came out of nowhere. But then as I took time to digest this, I can understand why he's retiring because, of, as you said, uh, suffering multiple concussions. And we now know the effects with all the research about concussions and the effects of CTE and the players know this. So rather than keep putting their bodies into more punishment, they figured, you know what? I want to have a healthy life when I'm done playing football. I think I need to quit now while I'm on top. And um, that's what you're seeing with a lot of players, not just with Luck and Luke Keekley. You, you saw it with Patrick Willis. You saw it with Calvin Johnson. Mm-hmm. Rob Gronkowski, Barry yeah. Sanders, yeah. even yeah. way back when. With the 49ers, they drafted a, a linebacker in Chris Borland, and he retired after his retired rookie year, rookie year yeah. because of concu- he was scared of concussions and the effects of CTE long term. It's very shocking, but I I give him props for walking away when he did. Um, A very key component to the Carolina Panthers went to the Pro Bowl seven times. First team All-Pro, our Rooney Award. He won the Buckets Award Award, three times. So many awards. I think the Carolina Panthers did not plan to have Anita Mill linebacker until like another year or two down the road, but now they're going to have to deal with it. All I want to say is, Best of luck to Luke Keekley and I'll be rooting for him and whatever he does in his post-NFL career. Yeah, I echo that. Um, Luke Keekley was has been a fantastic linebacker. Um, obviously, as a Dallas Cowboy fan, whenever we faced the Carolina Panthers, he was one of those guys where you're always looking at to see where he's at because he would he destroyed games. I mean, he was one of the best defenders in the league. 
Um, like he says here in his quote, he says, there's only one way to play this game since I was a little kid, play fast, play physical, and play strong. Uh, he embodied that as a player, um, but he was also a very intelligent player. And I know he wants to maintain that, um, that wit and that um, ability to use his mind um, so by obviously stepping away. Um, and I feel like, uh, like Paolo said, kudos and props to him for making that decision to protect himself, um, to protect his body, protect his mind, um, and, you know, getting out when it's necessary. This is becoming a trend, and it's going to be interesting to see how the NFL um, receives this and how, how they're able to adjust to this because these are not just regular players, if you will, um, that are retiring. These are star players. Um, at have, the peak of their careers. At the peak of their careers. We're talking about all pro kind of guys, future Hall of Fame kind of guys. Um, so the NFL is going to have to respond in some way um, to protect their players um, and to find a way to um, to enable these guys to play um, longer. But at least for this point right now, um, I'm happy for Luke that he was able to play, you know, in the NFL and obviously play very well. Um, and hopefully he and anything that he, you know, puts his hands to do, um, he can continue to um, enjoy that as well. He walked out on his own terms. How many players get to say that? True. And two, does Luke Kuechly go to Canton at some point? Uh, definitely. I, not initially, maybe, not first ballot, yeah. but he'll definitely get in based on the credentials that he has. Yeah, I want to say that he will too. Um, he's impacted um, this era at middle linebacker, at least for the past five years. And anybody who becomes a defensive player of the year, um, it, it's a very strong case for them to, to be in Canton. Um, it's not an easy, easy thing to achieve. Um, but I, I could definitely see him in Canton as well. I definitely agree. He is a Hall of Famer. Now, um, I think it's going to be a little tough because he did leave at the prime of his career. Yeah. Probably if he played into his 30s, and it's a no-brainer. But despite that, I still think he goes to Canton with all the accomplishments that he has succeeded in his career. Yeah, it's similar to, like, say, like we said, Calvin Johnson and Rob Gronkowski. Even though those people were towards the ends of their careers. Right. They retired from the ages of 28 to 30. And also, the news wasn't that shocking because a typical NFL career is about only four years, give or take. But it stunned many as now the Panthers are also in the rebuilding process with new head coach, ex-Baylor head coach, uh, Matt Rule, along with uh, whether their problems at QB, uh, uh, Cam Newton and whatnot, and uh, other positions that have players that are... a veteran high age that may drop out, kind of like Luke Keekly. True. And then uh, moving on, we have to discuss what happened on Monday in the world of Major League Baseball as uh, they levied a harsh punishment to the Houston Astros. Uh, and I'll get more into that in a sec. The world champion uh, 2017 Astros, they were, uh, back in 2017, they were illegally stealing signs by using the uh, home center field camera to fixate on the opposing catcher's pitching signals, as well as the opposing pitcher's hand movements, and then relaying that message of what pitch is coming by hitting their trash can in the dugout a certain number of times with a baseball bat, or to hit the roof of the dugout with the baseball bat a certain number of times to indicate what pitch was coming for the their batter at, home, uh, at Astros home games in Tropicana Field. Or no, Minute Maid Park. Uh, so uh, based on that, uh, MLB announced on Monday afternoon that both the 
uh, GM Jeff Lothnow and uh, manager uh, AJ Finch would be both suspended for one year, and that the Astros will have to forfeit their first and second round draft picks in both 2020 and 2021, and the levy a $5 million fine, which is the maximum allotted under the MLB Constitution. And uh, when the Astros owner immediately heard about this, he instantly fired both uh, Ludnow and Finch. Why wasn't the uh, 2017 uh, championship vacated is what many people are actually wondering. Uh, MLB Commissioner uh, Rob Manfred, as well as the investigative teams regarding the situation, didn't take these steps as it was, as such, would open a can of worms for past incidences, like the steroid era and the uh, Black Sox scandal way back in the 1900s. And other uh, scandals that happened uh, uh, years and years ago. So, yeah, there's that. And then what's to come? Uh, Alex Cora, the current um, Boston Red Sox manager, will also be uh, punished for a full season because he was the bench coach for the Astros during the 2017 season and also uh, used some of the tactics for his uh, um, 2018 uh, championship Red Sox team. And uh, the Astros are, and uh, now Boston Red Sox are both currently searching for a new manager as uh, the Red Sox last night also uh, fired Alex Cora for that particular reason. So your thoughts on this situation, guys? Yeah, this is really problematic because for the Houston Astros, for quite a while, if you guys know, before the 2015 season, they weren't a very good team. In fact, I think during the 2015 season, if I remember, they weren't that good. So they they really – and I was surprised at their success. Now, granted, they still are a very talented team with guys like Jose Altuve. They have very talented players, um, and there, there's no doubt in that. But at the same time, this is not a good look for a team that did kind of come out of nowhere in terms of their success and um, was a little bit of an overnight success. And so it's it, it really does not look good – to have this kind of cheating scandal that dates back quite three to four years, possibly. So um, this this doesn't look good for baseball. It doesn't look good for the Houston Astros organization. Um, I think an organization that was on the rise before now. Um, and obviously, you know, we get into these cheating things. Um, they said they were using wearable um, handheld technology. Um, you know, it was say it was saying that obviously the players were were involved and everything like that. Players weren't um, weren't punished, which was interesting to me as well. It says most players on the 2017 Astros were involved. So, I mean, this dates back a couple years, and it seems like it's a pretty in-depth situation. When even went as far as calling the environment problematic um, in their situation. It's really interesting to see this happen. Um, we've seen this happen not only in baseball, but we've seen similar things in football. Um, with the Spygate situation. Right, with the Spygate situation. And sort of play gate. And the play gate. <laughs> it's sort of the gate. Um, so it's it's really, you know, cheating is one of those things that um, should be heavily punished because um, anybody who, who tries to, you know, elevate their game by doing things like this, um, it's pretty low, I would say. It's very low. Who knew that Bill O'Brien uh, could be the only coach survived in Houston? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> so it's crazy. Man, Texas has gone through a lot. They years ago they had uh, the death penalty with SMU in college football, mm. and now in 2020 you have the Houston Astros getting penalized 
or what happened in their 2017 World Series uh, season. But it's very surprising. Um, you you mentioned that uh, Alex Corris got fired by Boston Red Sox. Uh, that might not be the only team maybe firing their uh, manager. You have the Mets with Carlos Beltran because Beltran was a player in that Houston Astros 2017 team. And he's now the manager of the Mets. Yep. So his future could be in doubt. But stealing signs, stealing verbiage from the opposing teams, that is definitely cheating. Ridiculous. I mean, I know there's like a, an old saying, like, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Right. But this is the thing. When you cheat, when you lie, eventually you're going to get caught. Exactly. You're going to get caught. To add on, uh, sign stealing has been there since for like hundreds of years for baseball. But it's always been by – if you can do it by memory, it's fine because that's – it's, te- it's technically not cheating, so but it's very hard to do it by memory because there's so many different side signals. I mean, you could be wiggling your ear and, and touching your knee, and it could mean, no, I want you to stop on first ba- or on second base and then, you know, contemplate going to third base, but stop in the middle, give them a little – it could mean a whole bunch of different things. So it's like it's hard to, to continue to memorize all those base signs or all those signages for everybody else. So – but yeah, sign stealing has been going on for ever since it started. Um, but um, there's, I think there's a legal form of it and there's an illegal form of it. And one of the things that was illegal about this was that they were actually using um, electronic equipment um, to decode the signs as well as to record the signs. So it's that's one of those things that apparently is against um, MLB regulation. And they got caught. <laughs> and that's what happens. You... Especially if you do it enough, you do it, you know, through through a couple of years, eventually somebody's going to catch on. Because so, people are going to be like, how do you know everything that we're doing? You literally know everything. That you don't think somebody's going to raise suspicion on that? You know? I mean, look at... After, Especially as successful as the Houston Astros I mean, are. Since, I mean, since Spygate, every NFL team that goes to Foxborough is very wary about leaving their playbooks and leaving everything around because they think, like, the Patriots got cameras looking around. But to go back with the Astros... Um, with all the information that they uh, that we know about, I mean, they deserve to get punished. Yeah. Now it sucks for it sucks for them because they were they were getting to some success after having down years. Right. And now their accomplishments have been tainted. Even when the Houston Astros succeed again to that level without cheating, no one's gonna believe them. No one's gonna believe exactly. They put themselves between a rock and a hard place here. How long do you think uh, it's gonna be before they recover? Ah, it depends on how who the new manager will be, how they would uh, game plan moving forward. They still have a lot of the, the great players that they have on the roster. So I, yeah, nothing has happened to the players. It's just the manager. The if it were, if if players were cut and if players were suspended, I would say take take you know a few years. But for them, it it's could just the same the next team. Year or two, honestly. Yeah, it's just the same team. You just lost yeah. uh, just Garrett Cole to the Yankees. Exactly. That's the only thing I would say is, like, these sanctions are considered tough, yes, but I don't think they're that tough considering the, the roster that the Houston Astros have. So, in 2017, they beat the uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers 4-3 to three in that series. You can just imagine Dodgers fans right now. <laughs> after yeah, games. because after, the, after that, then in 2018, Red Sox won the Red World Sox Series yeah. against the same Dodgers team. Right. And so, Dodgers are just... So <laughs> Dodger fans are pretty so mad. Pretty bad. Yeah. So does the World Series win for the Astros now 
going to be vacated. Um, uh, like I said, they no. like I said, not now because yeah. past circumstances with the steroid era would open a can of worms. Right. So, in more positive news, let's look at the MLB Hall of Fame inductees for 2020. As uh, next Tuesday, the 21st, MLB will announce the players inducted into their Hall of Fame this coming summer. So we have the usual steroid era players from the prior <laughs> years uh, carrying over to this year's ballot, such as Barry Bonds, Sam, Sammy Sosa, <laughs> Roger Clemens, etc. But also 18 first-year players, ranging from the definitely Hall of Fame material, Derek Jeter, to, really, they're on the ballot? Right. Like Sean Figgins, Brian Roberts, and Brad Penny. So the process as to how this works is that 16 voters must decide out of the 30-plus players up to 10 possible ones they want to nominate for the Hall of Fame. From there, there's a 75% uh, uh, threshold. Those that get above uh, 75% of the votes will be inducted. Those that are below will carry over to the next year. But those that get uh, 4 or a percent or less of the vote will be dropped permanently. Mm-hmm. So those... Uh, yeah, With, and there are some exceptions. Ten, the 10th year on the ballot is the absolute last year that the player can be on the ballot. Just look at, like, say, uh, Joe Jacoby from the Redskins, who is yet to be inducted because, for the uh, NFL. That's a crime. Yeah, but, but he can't be uh, inducted formally because he's off the ballot. Mm-hmm. So such is the case with uh, Larry Walker this year. As this is the 10th and final year for him on the ballot. So uh, we're going to discuss who we think will will be in the Hall of Fame induction ceremony come uh, this uh, July. So my five picks, one is definite, uh, Derek Jeter. It's too obvious. It's kind of like Ken Griffey last year, the, how he got unanimous votes. He has a great bat, hit for average, and a great uh, defensive shortstop. Was a multiple-time World Series MVP and champion for the uh, – New York Yankees, and yeah, Multiple it's without... Multiple-time gold glove winner as well. Yeah, there's no question. Yeah. Next up for me, it's Todd Helton. He was a great, uh, one of the most consistent bats in MLB history. Had a career uh, 316 batting average with a .953 uh, OPS, which is on base and slugging. At first base for the Rockies, really good uh, hitter, great uh, defensive outfielder and first baseman. Uh, third up would be uh, Omar Vizquel, one of the greatest short defensive shortstops of my era and possibly one of the greatest of all time. Uh, Barry Bonds would be number four, despite the uh, steroid allegations and whatnot. He's the, one of the greatest, most menacing hitters of all time yep. and uh, shattered home run records during the steroid era, so much so that every like pitcher would have to walk him no matter what because they didn't want to have uh, one-plus run score off off him during a game. And then my last uh, would be uh, Roger Clemens because he was a lights-out pitcher for the Yankees and Astros, multiple-time uh, Cy Young winner, and excellent pitcher for the, for those two teams. So this is who you think will or who you think who, should? Who I think uh, will be on there. Okay. So you guys' thoughts on the 32-player list and who will make it? Yeah, I think there's some obvious ones for me. Um, I think, obviously, Derek Jeter's number one. I loved watching him play. Was a great leader above all um, and played for a long time. Um, Like like, uh, Samir said, 
I mean, he's a part of the 3,000 hit club. He has nearly 3,500 hits. Um, I mean, he's he's been had an impressive career with the 310 batting average over his career. It's insane. Um, I think Barry Bonds will finally make it. Um, I think it's about time. He's just got way too many home runs for you not to put him on the on the ballot or not. 762 on record. Yep, to be exact. Um, you know, it's 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 about time. And then. Um, I do believe uh, Kurt Schilling will be in there. Hmm. Um, just a fantastic pitcher for the Boston Red Sox. He's and Diamondbacks. And Diamondbacks. was very good with the Diamondbacks. Was really clutch. That was the thing I always remember about Kurt Schilling was, was clutch. He doesn't have a great long-time ERA, but if you remember watching him in the postseason, uh, he was one of the best um, pitchers of all time in the postseason. Um, I think uh, Roger Clemens will definitely make it this year. Um, it's about time for him as well. I think he's one of those steroid era uh, pitchers that's finally going to make it. Really good ERA, 3.1 overall. And then I think my fifth and final would probably go to – this is tough. I could go anybody from Todd Helton to Manny Ramirez to, I think, Gary Sheffield. Gary Sheffield was um, a great hitter for a long time. Um, but I'm actually going to go with Manny Ramirez. Mm. Um, Manny Ramirez was a part of a Boston Red Sox squad that I believe won three championships during his era. Um, he's one of he's one of the greater home run hitters as well, with over 555 home runs. Um, he's a part part of the 2500 hit club, and he was one of the hardest people to throw against in the clutch. He would perform in the clutch um, extremely well um, for the Red Sox. And during his stint with the Red Sox, he was one of the best hitters in the in the MLB. Not a great defender, um, but one of the one of the better hitters. I um, still remember. Time. Yeah, I still remember that moment in the. Was it the World Series or something I where think it was the World Series. he robbed his own play, uh, yes. outfielder of a, a relay? Of a relay, yes, I, I do remember that. Manny Ramirez had his spots. Yeah, yeah he definitely. That, had that's his why spots. he was called Manny, being Manny. Right, Manny being Manny. He was man, he was definitely Manny, but part of Manny being Manny was some great oh. some greatness. He he had some greatness in him. Um, he was one of the best one of the best players at that time. Um, and yeah, I think he I think he will be the fifth and final. Manny being Manny, that is a very very true statement. Yes, it is. All right, number one, it's Derek Jeter. Yeah. it's a no brainer, like you all said. Um, I would have to say Barry Bonds. Yes, he's been linked with the steroids, but you cannot erase um, his work in uh, Major League Baseball. And uh, also, he also had a great career uh, pre-steroid. That yeah. he was a great uh, and runner. Yep. He stole he many bases. As well, multiple time Gold Glove winner. As you can see, yeah. 514 stolen bases. Yeah, yep. that's incredible. At some point, this guy has to get in, and I think. This will be the year for Barry Bonds. And can, can I just add one more stat, yeah, Paolo? 2,500 bases on balls. That's 2,500 walks. Do you know how – pitchers were so scared of yeah. this guy. They would literally choose to walk him over letting him hit. I mean, you look at Derek Jeter, who I think had a longer career than Barry Bonds, only had 1,000 bases on balls. Did anybody get – Close That's to what double. Barry Bonds. Yeah, nobody even got close to what Barry Bonds does. So I mean, it's it's amazing how you know the type of effect that he had offensively. He was people were just shaking in their boots when they had to face this guy. Okay, so Derek Jeter, Barry Bonds. I'm going to say uh, Kurt Schilling. 
Uh, number four, this is his final chance at the ballot. I'm going to give it to him, Larry Walker. He had 313 batting average, yeah, there you 383 go. home runs. He had 1,300 RBIs and a 965 on uh, OPS, which is pretty good. It's pretty good. And, of course, I'm going to go with Manny because mm-hmm. uh, from what you guys said, he's also a two-time uh, World Series champion. He won the World Series in 2004 and 2007. He was a World Series MVP in 2004. In that same year, in 2004, AL home run leader, AL batting champion in 2002, just was regarded as one of the best right-hand hitters of, the, of his generation. That's right. Uh, I was talking with Samir before the podcast. He doesn't think uh, Manny will get in uh, this year because he probably has a few more years before he can get in. But I think – I just think uh, this is the year for a Manny because I think his accolades are uh, well-spoken and it's hard to ignore. So, uh, Nathan, your thoughts on Jeff Kent? Because I know you're a Giants fan, and you think he deserves a hall of, the Hall of Fame or Hall of Very Good? Um, Jeff Kent, um, I, I've always said Jeff Kent was a fantastic defender, um, great hitter, over 2,400 hits in his career, good bat, batting average as well. He is one of those guys that I think will come in right before – um, the Hall of Fame. Um, he played for the, the Giants and the Dodgers, uh, as well as the Mets for several seasons, couple stints in here and there for Houston and Cleveland and Toronto. Um, but he was a fantastic, he was a really good player, really solid player throughout his career. The one thing I remember about him is that he was the perfect teammate. So he would do everything that you need him to do. Um, he was very versatile um, on um, defending wise. You could really place him at several different spots within the diamond. Um, but he, um, I, I, I just remember him being a really solid player. But in terms of Hall of Fame, it's going to be tough for him to get in the Hall of Fame. His stats, at least on first look, um, are those of somebody who's very good, but not quite there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, even though overall um, he still has some very impressive stats. Um, it's going to be interesting. He's, it's going to come in close. I don't think he'll make it this year. I don't think he'll make it next year, but the year after he has a chance, I think it's going to come down to that ninth and 10th season. I think it really is a matter of who he's up against. Um, if, if some of these players that I'm seeing here are still on the list, then he could have some trouble. But depending upon um, who goes and who doesn't, uh, he, could, he could possibly slip in. But I loved watching Jeff Kent. I think he was a fantastic player, especially from 97 on to about 2000. Uh, five. He had some of the best seasons. You're talking about, you know, RBIs up in the 120s. I mean, fantastic. Near 377 home runs over his career. So he's a very good player. Um, hopefully he does make the Hall of Fame, but we'll see. Yep, and I have to give a shout out to uh, Alfonso Soriano. Yes. First time on the ballot. Uh, he's in the Hall of Very Good. I Like Nathan said, similar with uh, Jeff Kent, but... Yeah. This is his first time on the ballot. He'll be here for future years. I don't see him sure. in the Hall of Fame this year, but maybe in few, uh, subsequent years he'll get the right amount of votes to get in. And another one that may get Hall of Fame uh, credentials, but I don't is in the Hall of Very Good for me, is Scott Rowland, the third baseman for the Blue Jays and the uh, Cardinals and what some several other teams. He played for uh, 17 years and, yeah, was a great defensive third baseman. Had a lot of web gems. Uh, and Gold Gloves, great uh, contact hitter as well. But again, is in the Hall of Very Good. 
Very true. And I'm just going to briefly mention, since we're on the Hall of Fame topic, that today the NFL announced uh, the Centennial class. It's uh, basically a group of uh, 13 inductees, 10 senior uh, former players, coaches, and uh, three contributors, which are basically like media members, were revealed this morning. Of that list, uh, several notable players you may or may not have heard of, one being uh, Jimbo Covert, an offensive tackle for the Chicago Bears during the uh, 80s and 90s. He was a great uh, tackle for the Bears. And then also there was Harold Carmichael, nominated, uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame. He's a red wide receiver who played for both the Eagles and the Cowboys. And the amazing thing about him, uh, Carmichael, this receiver was six foot eight. Yeah. Calvin Johnson is like six foot five or whatever. Right. This guy was six foot eight. Wow, crazy. You only see offensive tackles uh, that big, and uh, some tight ends. But he was a receiver, six foot eight, and was on the NFL 1970s All Decade team. And then there's several other players like Alex Karras, a defensive tackle for the Lions back in the 60s and 70s. Donnie Shell, a safety for the Steelers in the 70s and 80s. And then among the other uh, ones inducted uh, include uh, Steve Sable, who is the admin and president of NFL Films, passed away in 2012. But yeah, he's won over 40 Emmy Awards. Fantastic. And was a yeah, he was a great creator of NFL films and what it became to be. Yeah. And then we also have uh, Paul Tagliabue, the former commissioner. Uh, in 2006, uh, he stepped down, and uh, the current co- uh, commissioner, uh, Roger oh, Goodell, yeah. is in place now. And then for coaches, uh, uh, Jimmy Johnson, the Cowboys and Dolphins head coach. Nathan, you know a lot about him. Oh, yeah. And uh, Bill Cower, the uh, ex-Steelers head coach, now doing the, I mean, both are now doing uh, pre-game and post-game commentary on uh, CBS and Fox. Yeah, I just had a quick two comments on. First of all, it's great to see two Dallas Cowboys make the list. Well, three Dallas Cowboys, um, even though it was one season. Harold Carmichael, nineteen eighty-four, and then Cliff Harris was a very good Cowboys, seventy to seventy-nine um, during that Tom Landry era. And then Jimmy Johnson, um, obviously the the big fish here. Just seeing Jimmy Johnson make it, even though he only had four years with the Cowboys, three years with the Dolphins, short career, but was fantastic within that period of time. One of my favorite coaches from what, you know, everything that I've seen and heard. Um, it's just, it's great to see that he did make the, the Hall of Fame. He's well-deserved. Um, it's amazing what he did with those Cowboys teams um, during that era. He turned the Cowboys completely around. Um, he deserves a lot of credit for that. And then one other guy, obviously, Bill Cower. Um, I loved watching him. Uh, he was one of my favorite coaches, coaches during that era, too. I, I remember telling my dad I really want Bill Cower to be the coach for the Dallas Cowboys because he always had that gritty personality. Um, he knew how to motivate the guys. Um, everybody wanted to play for him. He was in charge of some of the best defenses of all time. You're talking about guys like James Ferrier, uh, Troy Polamalu, James Harrison, I mean, he had some amazing guys um, on his squad, and he coached them up very well. Um, so hats off to Bill Cowher. I thought uh, his speech was very touching um, um, on CBS Sports. And I thought Jimmy Johnson's reaction was very telling of how much he put into his career and how much he put into his players. And I thought that was great to see 
Uh, both of them react the way that they did. It's obviously a very special moment for them. So congratulations to all of the inductees. But uh, I just wanted to point out those two especially. Yep. And well, Jimmy Johnson and Bill Cowher, I have to say it's about time. It's been way overdue. Jimmy Johnson, as uh, many Dallas Cowboys fans know, he was the leader of that dynasty. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think he was the one that executed that uh, well-known uh, Herschel Walker trade. Mm, <laughs> the great train yes, robbery. The great train robbery, yes. Not for you guys. <laughs> yes. No. It was kind of robbery for us, too, <laughs> in, a, in a way. So Yeah, you guys got all the Hall of Fame yeah, players. pretty much. They just so. got a washed-up Herschel Walker. Exactly. The yeah, it was a robbery for us, too, so we, we were able to rob him. But. Yeah, for Jimmy Johnson, he was leader of that Cowboys dynasty, coaching yep. uh, players like Troy Aikman, Michael Irvin, Evan Smith. Speaking of Jimmy Johnson's Hall of Fame announcement, uh, Troy Aikman was watching, and he was very emotional. Yeah, he was. He was, he was pretty because, uh this, he owed his career to uh, Jimmy Johnson. Mm-hmm. It's nice to see that. Of course, uh, a lot of Cowboys fans were not happy how Jimmy left. Yeah. And uh, you're saying about Bill Cowher, you wanted to be a Dallas Cowboy. Yes. It was never going to happen no. because it was going to be the same thing as the Redskins. Right. The owners were not going to let Bill Cowher exactly. do his job. Exactly. Now, for Bill Cowher, and his credentials uh, speak speak for himself, Super Bowl champion. He, he uh, coached the Pittsburgh Steelers from 1992 to 2006. He retired after leading the Steelers to a Super Bowl win against the Seattle Seahawks. He was AP NFL Coach of the Year in 92, and uh, he was uh, two-time Sporting News NFL Coach of the Year in 92 and 2004. He was a great coach. He coached under a terrific organization with terrific owners. The Roonies uh, treated this guy well, and they allowed him to do his job and to coach the Steelers the way uh, the Steelers should be coached, and uh, Bill Cowher was able to walk away after being a champion. He belongs in that list. He walked away in being that list of being a Super Bowl champion. Yep. I mean, you see that with players like uh, John Elway, Michael Strahan, Ray Lewis. So it's nice for him to be on that list. And many people thought after he retired, he he was going to come back to coaching, but. I mean, he looks pretty like, comfortable. He looks very comfortable now. After, yeah, 2011, after 2010, 2011, I think everyone knows that uh, he was done. Yeah. So he he walked out on top. It was great to see them now going to the Hall of Fame and to see that all of their hard work that they did in the NFL is now being recognized. Definitely, definitely. Yep. And you uh, guys may, may not have uh, recognized, I did not mention players that are on the ballot, like say uh, Troy Palomalu, Tori Holt, Isaac Bruce, uh, I think Dwight Free was one of them. Uh, and uh, Isaac Bruce got to be in there. Uh, Reggie Bruce Wayne, I think, Bruce was also Wayne, yeah. nominated. And I want to say Chad Hutch- Hutchison, the uh, guard for the yes. uh, Seahawks. Yes, uh, yes, I didn't mention those guys because uh, that voting process is currently underway and they won't reveal those uh, finalists until the NFL Honors, which is that big show where they unveil the MVP and all the other awards, right. and that comes the day before the Super Bowl. And I just want to go quickly on Bill Cowher. I mean, assistant coaches that coached under Bill Cowher, Bruce Arians, Don Capers, Chan Gailey, mm-hmm. Jim Hazlitt, Dick LeBeau, Marvin Lewis, wow. Mike Malarkey, and Ken Wisenhunt. All successful coaches in their own right. Mm-hmm. So that was just a brief uh, glimpse at uh, the Hall of Fame uh, inductees. 
the players that were uh, past our generation, basically, and the coaches and media members that are now going to be inducted uh, this coming uh, August. And we're going to move on now to uh, college football, as we had the national championship game uh, this past Monday. And uh, this was a team between two Tigers, one being LSU, the other Clemson, both undefeated heading into this national championship game. And LSU won in a landslide, 42-25. But it was a Heisman Trophy uh, winning Joe Burrell's LSU team that was the victor. He was excellent, uh, 31 out of 49 for 463 yards and six combined touchdowns, five for passing, one rushing, which gives him a combined 14 touchdowns in two playoff games this year. Insane. And his running back, uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, had 100... 16 carries for 110 yards, which is 6.9 yards per carry. And he reminded me of a young um, Maurice Jones-Drew, I was telling Paolo, because of his short size and stature and great elusiveness. I didn't look at it at first, but once he mentioned it and I looked at him again, I was like, wow, he's right. Yep, and then uh, wide receiver Jamar Chase had the game of his life, nine catches for 221 yards and two touchdowns. And he almost had a third touchdown on a perfectly placed 20-yard pass by uh, Joe Burrow, but he dropped it. Yeah. Clemson, on the other hand, could not stop the dominant LSU offense set, like second quarter onward and were out of sorts in offense as well. The preseason Heisman favorite Trevor Lawrence couldn't get into any rhythm whatsoever, finishing the night going 18 of 37 for 234 yards and zero passing touchdowns. He threw balls into the dirt, overthrew his receivers, and... Some balls were just playing uncatchable for him. And, yeah, Clemson was off all game, especially in the second half, as they only scored eight points after halftime. So, Paolo, your thoughts on the game? Uh, From Clemson's side, it was surprising how the Clemson offense could not get into a good rhythm. Now, at halftime, I think it was LSU 28 and Clemson 17. So it was relatively a little bit of a close game. But once the second half started, then LSU pulled away. Trevor Lawrence has uh, great weapons. Guys like Justin Ross, who went off last year against Alabama. T. Higgins, Travis Etienne, their running back. Problem is with Higgins, he got injured in the third quarter and was playing banged up ever since then. Yes, yeah. he was. But I'm just saying, like overall, he yeah. had, Trevor Lawrence had the weapons mm. to compete with a team like an LSU. But LSU just showed that. They were the better team. Yeah. I mean, they had no answer for Jamar Chase. And, and then Justin Jefferson had nine catches for 106 yards. He reminded me of uh, Jarvis Landry because he was catching a lot of underneath passes. Yes, he does. Yeah. Joe Burrow just went off 31 of 49, 463 yeah. passing yards and five touchdowns. Yeah, he said uh, one rushing touchdown too. LSU was on fire from the get-go. And... Another takeaway from the game was like there was a questionable targeting call. Oh, I forgot the name of the uh, uh, the Clemson uh, linebacker. I think it was Justin Jefferson, if I'm not mistaken, that got tackled. I think uh, the Clemson linebacker led his helmet, I think, the crown of the helmet into the receiver. Now it looked a little, it did look rough, but to me and everyone else, did not warrant an ejection. But the refs reviewed it. And they thought it was an ejection. I thought it was not good. Oh, James Skalski. Skalski was the one who ejected, yeah? Yeah, he was like 
everyone was describing he was like the leader of that defense. So it was al- he was almost like their Luke Keekley. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Bobby Wagner, Luke Keekley, that kind of character. And, uh, again, the hit that uh, Scalsi uh, hit on the receiver did not warrant an injection, but the refs reviewed it. They, they, they deemed it a targeting call, and I think the special guest referee, when it comes to commentating, they said – can I leave with your crown on your helmet? It doesn't have to be a helmet-to-helmet hit, which, of course, I'm not happy about that. Right. The targeting rule is broken, and it is one of the many reasons why I strongly oppose the NFL trying to pass a targeting rule because they go – They would go berserk they, they go. Yeah, they, they, they already go crazy with <laughs> pass interference, roughing the passer. Else, yeah. The defensive players already have enough on their plate. So can you imagine the, the loud outcry? Yeah. The NFL will get from the defensive players if the target rule is passed. Oh, it'd be pretty heavy. Um, and I mean, oh, obviously. And, and another thing before I give it to Nathan, mm-hmm. T. Higgins was hit in the middle of the chest by an LSU defender, and the defender hit T. Higgins with the crown of his helmet. They didn't call that targeting. See. So the it's rules. Like you gotta make it clear. Yeah, you gotta make it clear. Uh, the rules broken. They really need to. The NCAA really needs to look at this rule again and try to find a way to make it more consistent because inconsistency is really, really ticking off a lot of teams, players, and a lot of fans. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think it has, um, like you said, probably a large effect on what um, inevitably happens in a game. And you can't really measure the effect a middle linebacker um, that's the heart and soul of your defense has on your, the entirety of your defense and the entirety of your team. I mean, he's a leader on their team. To have him out for, I believe, two halves or, or one half is pretty a long time. Um, and, I, and going back and seeing that play over again, I did feel like it was unwarranted to eject him from the game. Um, but that's just my personal opinion. In terms of the game as a whole, it was surprising to me to see Clemson not put up any resistance against LSU. They had five sacks, which is pretty impressive when you look at it. They were, they were getting to Joe Burrow a little bit. Yeah, especially in the – yeah, I just want to yeah. mention, especially in the second half because right before halftime, uh, Burrow was grabbing his uh, side, right. and it was reported that he had some sort of a rib uh, injury, and mm-hmm. it turns out he did have like a broken rib. And so he was playing through that in the second half, and then in the immediate second half he was getting constantly sucked because he couldn't scramble as well because of the pain. It's crazy. So that's why – and that's a testament to Joe Burrow's toughness mm-hmm. and his um, his ability because Joe Burrow was standing in the pocket and he was making some fantastic throws. Despite the pressure, um, the, the Clemson Tigers run a very pro-like defense and pro-like offense. So they were blitzing a lot throughout the night. Um, their offense is pro-style offense, so they, they go with lots of receiver sets um, and they switch it up a lot. LSU was, you know, they were meeting it. They were matching it, you know, stride by stride. And even Joe Burrow kind of came out of the gate slow, but eventually um, he started, you know, speeding up, making up ground. It didn't take him very long. And once he started making up ground, I mean, he was whipping passes that were just unguardable. I mean, he that, that pass up the sideline um, to, um, I think it's Chase, was, was fantastic. I think it was a pass up the right sideline to chase for a touchdown. I mean, the corner was draped all over the guy, and I don't know how you place a ball in the pocket the way that he did. Joe Burrow is definitely the best quarterback in the nation right now. It was interesting to see Trevor Lawrence's um, regression, <laughs> regression yep. um, over the se- course of the season. Um, this 
this has kind of been over the course of the season that we've seen this. Um, it's a little surprising to see him regress this way, despite having very talented receivers. Um, LSU put the put the clamps on him as well. Um, he did not look comfortable in the pocket. He, like like you said, he had 13 overthrows, which is actually a record um, in the national championship. Um, so we'll see how he um, improves next season. Um, but overall, congratulations to LSU. They definitely deserved it. I'm glad. I'm happy for Ed Ordron because I really like him as a coach. He's a very good, motivating coach. Wanted him for USC. Obviously, that did not that did not work out. He had a terrible coaching stint at Ole Miss. Terrible coaching stint at Ole Miss. Um, but he's but he's successful here with the LSU Tigers. And uh, congratulations, kudos to him. Question: Did the national championship game solidify uh, Joe Burrow as the number one pick for the Bengals? It's. I think it solidifies him as the number one choice. Um, I think in any situation, um, there's so many different variables. Anything can happen, but um, he seems like the most likely choice at number one. Um, I'm not going to say – I know the Bengals are there right now, but anything can happen. I agree. would not be surprised to see the Bengals trade, but if they're going to fully move on from Andy Dalton, Joe Burrow is the pick. Yep, definitely. I think, uh, yeah, it's by far that he's the number one pick uh, – you look at guys like Andrew Luck in the past, like they were bona fide number one picks for sure. And uh, I believe uh, David Carr also back in the day, he was a number one pick for the Texans. Yeah, likewise, uh, Joe Burrow, it looks like the number one pick. And uh, because he's also from uh, uh, Ohio, he went to school in Ohio. And so the Bengals fans want him there. Um, yeah. Also, the one of the Bengals fans mentioned, mentioned on the Redskins subreddit, on re- uh, that uh, even if uh, Joe Burrow uh, had like 50, pa- 50 uh, passing yards, yeah. zero touchdowns, they would still clamor for him because of his yeah. season. 60 touchdowns in one season, six interceptions. <laughs> Again, I think Joe Burrow should, will be the number one pick for the Bengals, but you can't rule it out. They could like, pull a 180 and go Chase Young. Yeah, because Chase Young is also from Ohio because Ohio State. Right. But Or he's actually born here. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. he went to school in Ohio State, oh, Ohio sure. State, but Cincinnati. The reason I say that is because I have to look back to 2006 when the Houston Texans had the number one overall pick. A lot of people thought they were going to pick Vince Young, yeah. a quarterback. Vince Young himself thought the Texans were going to pick him. But turns out Charlie Cashley, former Redskins general manager and general manager of the Texans at that time, decided to go with Mario Williams as the number one pick because he felt like the talent of Mario Williams was too much to pass up, even though they had to need that quarterback. He got criticized for the pick. Mm -hmm. But then as years went by, turns out picking Mario Williams number one overall was the right decision. So that's why I'm saying don't rule it out. It's not a lock that Joe Burrow is the number one pick. It's a great problem to have, though, because when you look at these two players, these guys are – Fantastic talents. Joe Burrow yeah. um, is one of those talents that is hard to come by um, generationally, um, as well as Chase Young. Chase Young is 16 and a half sacks. 16 and a half sacks. And tw- that doesn't even tell the story of how much he affects um, um, the op- affects the offense um, and how much impact he has on defense. He can he can you can switch him along anywhere on the defensive line, and this guy will disrupt just about anybody. He's so quick. So strong. I, I mean, this guy is going to be – he's going to wreak havoc on the NFL. So, two amazing talents. And another guy to watch out for, 
uh, All-American linebacker Isaiah Sims. Yep, because uh, Schefter tweeted it out like after the LSU win that Isaiah Simmons was the standout on the Clemson defense, and uh, don't rule him out to be uh, going even ahead of Chase Young in the draft. But that seems kind of unlikely, most likely unlikely. But he definitely seems like a top 15 talent, possibly top so 10. So what we expect, Joe Burrow number one on the Bengals, Redskins, select Chase Young at number two. Pretty much, and that's what most uh, mock drafters, there's like a website that does uh, that – gets uh, all the mock drafts available online from like SI and other sources, Sports Illustrated and other sources. There are 59 uh, different uh, mock drafts. 56 of them had uh, Joe Burrow number one and uh, Chase Young number two. Wow, that's considerable. So, yeah. So, moving on from that to the NFL, we have to talk about the NFL divisional games that took place last weekend. And unlike the wild card games, where three of them were exciting and one blowout, this was quite the opposite: three blowouts, one exciting game. And so the first game, the Vikings versus 49ers in uh, San Fran, or actually in Santa Clara, this was a dominant game won by the Vikings defense as he smothered uh, Kirk Cousins, uh, who threw uh, one pick and had six sacks. And the running game, uh, Vikings only rushed for 21 total yards as the Vikings won in a blowout uh, 27-10 in what was a snooze fest come the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. So some quick thoughts on that game? Uh, just a quick domination by the 49ers. Now, I'm just going to say Kirk Cousins, yeah, he did not look good, but it was not all his fault. There was no running game. I mean, after Dominic was yeah, it was not exactly I think it was like 9 or 10 carries for 18 yards? Yeah, 21 yards total. That D-line of the 49ers manhandled that offensive line. Man, I did not realize Nick Bosa was that fast. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> the 49ers got back Kawan Alexander and I think D Ford. So you get those two guys back. That defense was already stacked. And it was Kyle Shanahan against his former quarterback, yep. Kirk Cousins, yep. and ending the blowout. So he knew Kirk's strength and weaknesses. So we had to know where this was going. So, yeah, I mean, this was a like you said, Powell. This was a dominant, just a dominant performance by the defensive line. They they racked up over seven sacks on the day. Um, I mean, they were just getting out to Kirk Cousins, guys from D Ford um, to Solomon Thomas, you know, to obviously Nick Bosa, DeForest Buckner, Eric Armstead. All these guys had sacks. They just played fantastic football. Um, and really what this is seeming like is this, this is the year of the running game, um, and that's what they the San Francisco 49ers showed in this game um, between Rasheem Morstead and Tevin Coleman. Uh, both of these guys were phenomenal on the run. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo didn't have any impressive stats. They just continued to run the ball consistently well um, and play amazing defense, and that's what got them to win against the Vikings. And also we have the uh, Titans and Ravens. And what was supposed to be a great primetime Saturday game in Baltimore was not to be. Titans just physically outpowered the Ravens right from the start on both sides of the ball. They opened up to a surprising 14-0 lead in the first quarter and never looked back, winning the game 28-12. Lamar Jackson, who's the inevitable season MVP, had a great fantasy night. 365 yards passing on 
59 total passes thrown. We both had them in fantasy. Yeah. And then another 143 rushing yards, most coming in the second half as he was scrambling for like 20, 30 yards a chunk. Bad in numbers, guys. Yeah. But the thing was, not so much to aid his team in victory as he threw in the first half, he threw a number of low passes as a. Receivers didn't help him much with Miles Boykin and whatnot, yeah. uh, Dr- Willie Sneed dropping passes. And, uh, yeah, the other story was that the Ravens' trenches couldn't stop the uh, Titans' onslaught. They couldn't protect Jackson as he threw two picks and had four sacks. So one of his picks wasn't his fault because it went off the hands of uh, Mark Andrews in the right. first half. That's a player's favorite game at the tip dress. Yeah, and then they couldn't uh, stop the run, the Ravens, in terms of their run, their defense, as Derrick Henry ran for 185 plus yards for the third consecutive game, second straight in the playoffs, with 30 carries, another 30 plus carry game for 195 yards, which is 6.5 yards per carry, and he threw a passing touchdown just to rub it in our faces. My goodness. <laughs> So, yeah, it was a blowout come the second half, and there was little uh, fan uh, enthusiasm come the second half, even though the Ravens are trying to claw their way back in. It was just a dominant Titan team that physically manhandled them. Yeah, and I got to say, like I said, it's the year of the running, the rushing attack. You know, a lot of people have been talking about passing attacks lately, but if you look at the last few teams that we have, they all have pretty, for the most part, they all have pretty good rushing attacks. That's what's been leading them. Other than the Green Bay Packers, it's kind of been a balance. Um, but Derrick Henry, he's been unstoppable. This is the second straight plus 180-plus yard um, game from him in the playoffs. And like I said, Ryan Tannehill, not super impressive stats, but it's been the running game and very good defense um, that has gotten this team through it. Once again, they got tons of pressure on Lamar Jackson. They racked up about five, six sacks on the day. Um, they were getting after him. They contained him in the pocket. And, yeah, it was just an impressive win for the Titans. In the last episode of the Spamu podcast, I said the Titans are not going to win if Ryan Tannehill played the same way he did against the Patriots. And I thought Derrick Henry would only get, like, maybe maybe under 100 yards or maybe, like, 110. Boy, did he prove <laughs> me wrong. Yeah. 30 carries of 195 yards. He broke the record that he made in the wild card weekend. Right. Jeez. And Derrick Henry decided to go uh, Tim Tebow with that jump pass to Corey Davis. Man, can't believe it. This dude's unstoppable. This guy's got to win an award uh, this season. And uh, that defense, man, that defense got to the Raven offense like like there was no tomorrow. I mean, Jarrell Casey got uh, pressured Harold Landry. Kenny Baccaro and Kevin Biner got interceptions, man. This Titans team is amazing, and I credit Mike Vrabel yeah. for the work he's done. He's got this team to the AFC Championship game. Yeah. I'm just impressed by the Titans. They proved me wrong. And I just wanted to add two things. One thing is that they basically prevented the rush, Ravens' rushing attack, their running backs from getting uh, chunks of yards by basically attacking the uh, outside right. and then uh, for them to come in and right. obviously get run stopped by, say, the guys you uh, like Gerald Casey and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So they basically forced the Lamar to go outside and then clam down from there. And then the yeah. second thing I wanted to mention, uh, I actually lost my train of thought. Uh, <laughs> you know what? Well, just... I think just to add to that point, Samir, is that it's, it's very, it's a very good tactic because 
The thing is, is that you need to know the strength of your defense. You need to know what works best for your defense. And your best players, you want to put them in a position to make the best, most plays. So for them, it makes so much sense for the Titans to move everything inside because their best players are inside on the defensive line. You want to funnel those guys into the middle so that way they'll have to face their best players. That's a, a very good strategy. Mike Rabel, obviously, longtime defender, um, linebacker slash defensive end. Um, he knows how that works. He, he was very good at containing as well. Um, so he knows how that works. He knows how to to make uh, to pressure um, um, you know quarterbacks like Lamar Jackson um, into containing them, and so that's a fantastic game plan. I got like like Powell said, like you said, Samir. Much credit to Mike Rabel. Fantastic um, game plan for that. And the thing I actually remembered was that uh, it was the Titans that were they were two and four to start the season. Yep. And then they decided to bench Marcus Mariota, their starter for uh, several years. And go with uh, Ryan Tannehill, who they got from the Dolphins. I think he, they made that move on week seven. Yeah, once they were two and four. And so they made that switch, and they stopped with Derek Henry with the running game, and look where they are now. They're, they're one win away from what the Super Bowl. What does that remind you of? <laughs> San Francisco 49ers, mm. they bench Alex Smith. And after, then an injury. Con, after an injury. Kaepernick and then Kaepernick Kaepernick to the Super Bowl. Kaepernick to the and the Super difference Bowl. with that is Alex Smith was playing at a high level. He just got injured. Yeah, he was playing at a good level. But they decided to go with Colin Kaepernick because he was he was playing even better. So it's it's curious, and both running quarterbacks too. Mm. So it's curious to see how they and their teams were constructed similarly. So they had Frank Gore as the, the top rusher, and they had a fantastic top five defense. So it's with the, be yeah, curious. with like Patrick Willis and Borland yep. and whatnot, Navarro Bowman, Navarro yeah, Bowman, yeah, Smith at the point in time. So mm. so speaking of Alex Smith, what we're going to talk about next is his former team. Yep, the Kansas City Chiefs. This game was basically a tale of two quarters within one crazy first half. Like the Titans the previous night, the Texans opened up to a 14-0 lead. This one, within the first three or four minutes of the game itself. They had a 50-plus yard TD to Kenny Stills off a Chiefs' blown coverage. And then they blocked the ensuing punt for a touchdown after the Chiefs went 3-0. and out. So 14-0 right from the get-go. And then they jumped out to a 24-0 first quarter lead. And then the second quarter happened. Yeah. An avalanche <laughs> happened. Off of multiple right. Texans miscues. First being a Chiefs 60-plus yard kickoff return that resulted in a Mahomes to Damian Williams touchdown, which I really liked because that pass was off a Damian Williams wheel route, and it was thrown at the hip of Damian Williams. He caught it there and ran it into the end zone. Yeah, that was impressive. And that was just in, like, one go. He didn't right. even stop uh, Damian Williams on that route. And then uh, another uh, error, Texans error, was that on the – they had a botched kickoff return on the ensuing play, which then resulted in another short field for Kansas City and a Travis Kelsey touchdown. Then the following drive, uh, Texans drive, they went forward on fourth and four on a fake punt from their own 30-yard line and didn't convert – Resulted in another Travis Kelsey touchdown from uh, the Texans' end. Followed that up by a 90-yard touchdown drive after a Texans punt that resulted in a third Kelsey touchdown in that second quarter itself. In a blink of an eye, the Texans' lead evaporated from 24-0 and then converted to a halftime deficit of 28-24. And then in the second half, Texans couldn't do no better and ended up getting routed 51-31 when all said and done. All I can say is, 
We talk about miscues on offense and defense, but you can never uh, underestimate special teams. Yeah. Or if you have miscues on special teams, it is tough to overcome that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it was 24 nothing Texas. Yes. Halftime, 28-24 Chiefs. And on top of that, they Texas also missed a field goal to close out the half. Sure did. <laughs> it's into the special teams. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And exactly. then the game ends at 51 to 31. Jeez. The Texans survived against the Bills, and they weren't going to do the same with the Chiefs. And yeah. for anyone who has any doubts about Patrick Mahomes, he shows you why you can't doubt him. But then again, he did play with a short field the whole second half. Yeah. So like he he was at the uh, Texans' like 30, 40, 20-yard line but for t- but, three consecutive possessions. Yeah. But despite that, he connect, he, he took that opportunity and it contributed to true. a win. Yeah, right? It doesn't matter what the field position is. Whether you're in horrible or in good field position, all that matters is if you take that opportunity and end it in uh, seven points. It was definitely evident um, to see how uh, the Chiefs were on their game from that second quarter on. Um, it's a testament to their team as a whole. They've gone through a couple of things that during the season um, to see their resolve um, in the playoffs, um, see them go ahead and take down the Texans. Um, they, you could tell they really wanted it. It's very easy after the, the first 24 points that the Houston Texans scored to mail it in, say, next season. But they, the, the Chiefs came back. They fought back hard. Um, I know it's disappointing for the Texans. I'm sure they hope for more. But there's still a lot this, this team can grow from. Um, they're a very talented team. They just need to f- fix a few things. Um, offensive line. Offensive line being number one. Um, and get a more balanced attack so that the, sh- the pressure is not all on Deshaun Watson. But overall, um, it was a pretty interesting game to watch. Um, but yeah, the Chiefs are on the championship, NFC or AFC championship. Uh, it should be uh, interesting to see how they go from there. Yep, and then to close out the uh, fourth and final game of the divisional round, it was a battle between the S- Seattle Seahawks and the and the Green Bay Packers. Um, this was a close game between these two NFC teams under the lights in snowy Lambeau. Both uh, running backs on, either, on both teams, uh, Marshawn Lynch and Aaron Jones, had two touchdowns apiece. But the defense was the Seahawks' offensive line on one side and Aaron Rodgers on the other. For the former, they couldn't stop the Smiths, as both uh, Preston and Zadarius Smith had two sacks of Wilson apiece. And uh, Preston, in the postgame uh, talk, he said that trying to sack Wilson was trying to chase after a chicken. Hey, that's the truth. <laughs> because, yeah, Wilson runs wood right. left, right, up, and down. Now, that's just Russell Wilson. Imagine they have to do that with Lamar Jackson. Oh. <laughs> I mean, yeah, similar molds. It'd be like chasing a cheetah. Exactly. <laughs> yep, and so despite that, Wilson, uh, Russell Wilson still mounted a comeback with his team. Down 21-3 at halftime, they cut the lead down to 28-23 but could get no more closer as uh, Rodgers and Aaron Jones used the the, uh, the game clock to their advantage, not leaving any room for error, and then yeah. Russell Wilson, and they never let Wilson get the ball after cutting the lead down to five. Yeah, I think, I mean, it was it was going to be a tough game. It was going to be a close game, I anticipated. Um, these are two teams that I feel like are, are pretty well balanced in terms of um, they, they have good defense. Um, overall, um, really good um, quarterbacks, Hall of Fame um, quarterbacks, um, a, a decent running game. Um, obviously, the Seahawks came and banged up. Marshall Lynch wasn't incredible, but he had two touchdowns. But I think at the end of the day, um, it just came down to Aaron Rodgers making you know the final plays, 
Oh yeah, he did have that fourth down or third down conversion to uh, uh, Devonte Adams right, that right. basically sealed the deal. Sealed the deal. Devonte had a huge game too, 160 game. yards on yeah. six and eight catches and two touchdowns. That's right, and so it's 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 a testament um, to this to the way this team and Matt Lafleur has done a good job. I think people have to give credit um, to Matt Lafleur um, for keeping this team in it um, and for the way that he's coached this team up um, because. For quite some time, it was hard for the Packers to get to the NFC Championship game, but they're finally back there. And I think the last time they were in the NFC Championship game, they went to the Super Bowl, if I remember. Mm. So we should see, we'll see how that goes. But congratulations to the Packers. They won at home, which they need to against a tough team. Um, now they're going to face the 49ers, which is a tougher team. <laughs> <laughs> the last, last conference championship game they were in, yeah, 2010, I think that would have to be in Soldier Field against the Bears, I and, think they so. and they won that. Mm. Yeah, I'm impressed with Matt LaFleur. I mean, I didn't think his first year would be conference championship, but he did, and I'm very impressed with him. Congrats. And now, moving on to the conference championship uh, games and the previews for both. Uh, first game is going to be the Titans at the Chiefs. It's a rematch of the exciting Week 10 matchup in Tennessee in which the ten- Titans um, miraculously won 35-32 on a blocked-up Butker kick as time expired. And this is a matchup between the current MVP, Patrick Mahomes, and the MVP candidate in Derrick Henry. So my quick thoughts is that uh, it's it should be an exciting game between one great warning game and one great passing game, one that can slow the offense down, one can – score touchdowns in bunches as right. we saw five touchdowns in 12 minute gameplay minutes in the against the Texans I'm gonna say the Chiefs move on and win let me say uh 27-21 oh yeah I just wanted to add that uh Andy Reid is one in five in conference uh, championship games the only win coming with the Eagles I think he uh jumps over that and gets that win so back, second win. I did pick the Titans to beat the Patriots and I picked them to be eliminated against the Ravens, and they proved me wrong. So I was gonna go Titans, but man, I cannot, <laughs> I cannot go against Patrick Mahomes. It's tough. I mean, it's tough. we saw what happened, what they did against the Texans. It, it would just be ill-advised for me to just go against the Chiefs. I do think it's gonna be a close game. It's gonna be very, uh, very close. I think it's going to be Chiefs by a game-winning touchdown. Yeah, thirty to twenty-seven. Thirty to twenty-seven. Okay, so close game. Um, I I can't go against the Chiefs either. Um, <laughs> so a Chiefs I, sweep. You know, I, as much as I want to uh, to give the Titans credit, I give the Titans credit. And like you said, Paolo, you would think after the first two times beating Tom Brady and then beating probably who I thought was the best team in the NFL at the time. Um, you know, the Titans have obviously proved their metal. They deserve to be here. But I just don't see them being the Chiefs on the home field. The Chiefs want to make up for what happened last year, losing on their home field against Brady when they had a chance to win that game. They're going to make it to the Super Bowl, in my opinion. I think the score will be 34-23 um, Chiefs. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then moving on to the 6 o'clock game on so- this coming Sunday is the Packers going to uh, – Santa Clara and uh, meeting the 49ers. This is a rematch of the Week 11 blowout with the San Francisco, in which the 49ers sacked Rodgers five times in a 37-8 thrashing at home. And I had Mason Crosby in fantasy, and he scored no field goals. 
which right. resulted in the loss for me. It's a matchup of former Redskins coaches in uh, Matt LaFleur, the QB's coach for us, now the Packers head coach, yep. and Kyle Shanahan, the offensive coordinator for us uh, back in the day, and now the 49ers head coach. So my thought is that it's going to be a – should be a better game than the last one, 38-7-8. should be a lot closer than that. I'm actually going to still say it's going to be 49ers. I'm not predicting a State Farm match between right. ba- Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers. Nope. Not going that route. I'm just picking the two red teams and going with the 49ers. And their defense is just far too much, but it'll be a closer game. I'm going to say 20... I'm going to say this is a lower scoring game. 24-17. Uh, I'm going to go 27-14. Mm-hmm. 49ers. Aaron Rodgers is still Aaron Rodgers, but he's got manhandled by the 49ers once, and I think it's going to happen again. Another blowout. Wow. Another blowout. I think the 49ers, um, I picked them to go make the Super Bowl, and I'm not going to deviate from that now. As much as I, it would be really interesting to see Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, one guy of one generation who's a fantastic talent, um, from another generation right now who's a fantastic talent. As, much, as exciting as that would be in the Super Bowl, I think the 49ers are the better overall team. So I'm going to have the 49ers winning this game 24-13. It's going to be a little bit low, lower scoring because the 49ers' defense is that legit. Mm-hmm. Um, Packers still could possibly win this game, but I got the 49ers at this point. So we all three predict the same uh, Super Bowl outcome, uh, Chiefs versus 49ers. So, we're going to move on to our favorite topic and wake everyone up with my favorite game, the birthday game. We have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten birthdays today on the slate. Wow. Yep. And uh, the first one, we it's going to be, it's my MLK's weekend, and so, we it, so it's his actual birthday today if he were still living. How old will Martin Luther King Jr. be if he were still alive today? I should know this. I'll give you. I'll give it to you first, Paolo. Ooh, Paolo gets first dibs. Well, you did one first last time, so it's only fair. <laughs> All right. Oh, yes, I you know he was 39 when he died. Oh. That's yeah. very young. Yeah, very young. Very yeah. young. I thought he was in his 40s, but he was 39. So, ooh, ooh, man, I'm gonna have to say 68. Okay. Um, let me see. He's 39 when he died. And this was back in the 60s. 60s. Yeah, I believe he died in 1963, if I remember. Um, so I'm going to go 83. Uh, Paolo was way off. 91. 91. He would have been. Wow. <laughs> Did he die in 1969 then? No, no, 90s. Uh, may have to Google it. Uh, just to get my facts straight. There was a blank. <laughs> yeah. So, anyone who's listening to me wondering, are you kidding me? Why are you that way else? <laughs> yep. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, was, uh, let's see, he was born in 1929. Yeah. 1929? Yeah. Yeah, so he died at age 39. So if you did the math, he would be 90. So moving on, our next birthday. <laughs> next birthdays, we're going to do all NFLers. First one is the former Bears head coach, and he uh, was a coach in the Canadian Football League 
Mark Tressman. Mark Tressman. They're done. Let's see. Martin <laughs> Tressman. I'm going to guess probably up in the early 60s. I'm going to guess 63. I'm going to go 67. Nathan! Hey, yes. All right. Got it right on the noggin. 63 years old. Next up, he is the, has the most passing touchdowns in NFL history, has the most passing yards in NFL history, plays on the Saints. Drew Brees. All right. Hey, Breezy. <clears throat> I'm going to go 41. He's younger than Brady. Yeah. He's older than Rodgers. 42. Um, so he's right plumb in the middle. Yeah, I'm going to go I'm gonna go 41, too. I'm going to match that. So we have a tie. Hey, there we go. No, not a tie. Well, he I says 41, you. then he's in the lead. Two to yeah. one. No, I meant tie for the same. For, the, for this uh, one. For this oh, okay. And next up, we're going to go to Nathan, uh, this former defensive tackle tackle for the Cowboys, Randy White. Randy White. Man. Oh, my goodness. I'm really tired. Oh, uh, yeah. I enjoyed those Redskins-Cowboys game where Russ Grimm and that offensive line ran over Randy White. <laughs> funny. <laughs> funny, funny. And Randy White would come back and dominate. Hey, Russ Grimm wanted to beat the you-know-what out of Randy White. They he can only him. do it every once in a while. <laughs> Randy White would give him a couple t- tries every once in a while. Uh, Randy White. Um, whew, he's got to be up there. Um, I'm going to guess 69. I'm going to go 67. Ooh, Paulo! Oh, the comeback tie now. 2-2. Two, two. Yes. And now back to Paolo. We're going to go for for the former tight end for the Red Washington Redskins, but on your uh, USC Trojans. You know where Red I'm going with this, Davis. Red yep. Davis. Yep. He was a good tight end. He just couldn't stop smoking weed. <laughs> <laughs> Save the weed. Sorry, Fred. Pass it on to uh, uh, right. Trent Williams. who also got suspended because of that. Right. That's right. Um, Fred Davis. I'm gonna go. And yeah, he's young, so he he should have been he should have been playing a couple of years, but yeah. alas, he's not. Brett Davis, he is 34. I'm gonna get 36. Ooh, Paolo was so close to taking the lead. 33. Oh. 33. Oh, so he could have he could be still playing in the league had he been substance he free. Been a, yeah, wow. tail end of his career. Next up, we're going uh, Mr. Worldwide from Miami, Pitbull, the singer. Oh, Pitbull, the singer. Yeah. yeah. Mr. Worldwide. Let me see. Um, Pitbull. My mom loved listening to Spanish songs, but she, she was not a fan of Pitbull, I will tell you that. Mm. Yeah. I like Pitbull. He's definitely a certain, certain type. <laughs> I'm going to guess I'm gonna guess he's turning the big 4-0 today. Mm-hmm. I think he's 50. Ooh, way too far, Paolo. Closer to for Nathan. 39. 39? I was way off. <laughs> no, you well, said was, 40. Was, I'm sorry. I was like one off. I'm yeah. Sorry. That's what I meant. My goodness. Okay. So who's guessing first? Uh, I think it's me this time. Okay. So we're going, <laughs> we're going to know a former boxer in Bernard Hopkins. Yeah, Bernard Hopkins. Yeah. Obviously, since retired. I haven't watched uh, boxing. At all, so this is going to be tough. But he's retired, so you can make a guess within that range. You know, suppose when he last retired. 
I don't know from the top of my head. Alright, I'm going to say 65. Nathan? No, 73. Ooh, way too old for both. It's He's only 54 years old today. The only boxers I knew was Muhammad Ali, uh, Evander Holyfield, Mike Tyson, yeah. and uh, uh, Floyd Money Mayweather. George Foreman. Yeah, he, but he's among those greats. Yes. Now we're going to go to uh, some two uh, baseball players who uh, have since retired. One is uh, Matt Holliday, played on the Rockies and Cardinals as an outfielder first baseman from 2004 to 2018. So, Nathan, how old is Matt Holliday? Matt Holliday, I feel, is 38 years old. I think he's 30. Ah, way too young. Uh, 40. Oh, too old. I was going to say, <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to say 40, but then I was like, no, probably 30. So. This guy uh, played on the Orioles, uh, among other teams, a second baseman from 1990 to 2002. And his son, who played on the Texans, was most recently traded to the Indians, Delino DeShields. He also, like I said, he last played in 2002. So you can do the math along with his, since he last played in 2002, Matt Holiday last played in 2018. Apollo goes first. Like I said, he has a son who's on the Cleveland Indians. Yeah. Pretty good uh, base dealer, uh, hitter, Delano DeShields Jr. 53. That was my guess. You can say it. <laughs> Tie it or go more or less. What about you? Uh, 51. 51. Oh. And to round it out, since we're moving on to college basketball, Doug Gottlieb, the college oh. basketball analyst. Oh, yeah, Doug Gottlieb. I remember him. You'll see him a lot on, see him a lot on the, yeah, March. Fox. Yeah, and on March, when it comes to March Madness. Maybe it was CBS Sports, if I'm not mm, Yeah, because he was on that panel when they were revealing the bracket. Right. So Nathan goes Definitely first. Forties, lower 50s. I'm going to guess 52. I'm going to go 50. 44. A young 44. So we are done now, and it's tie for the first time ever. 2-2. Two, two. I thought I had Frank Davis. <laughs> so we're 1-1. 1-0-1 and one this year for Nathan. And then for Paolo, it's 0-1-1. So since we're talking about college basketball, I'm just going to quickly run through what has happened just recently. Yeah, yesterday, Maryland played Wisconsin on the road, and they shockingly lost 56-54. That's a really good shocker. I say shockingly in question marks because <laughs> they had the lead in the last few minutes and last few seconds and let it whittle away. Yep. So they fall to 13-4, and 3-3 three and three in the Big Ten. And they were once ranked number three overall in all of college basketball. Now they plummet to seventh in the Big Ten. And so now, much for that. And now they're 0-4 on the road. They haven't won a single road game. Let's see yet another game with a slow start as they had no field goals in like a five-minute span and another six-minute span in first-half action despite scoring 25 points and only trailing by five. And they put in Eric Ayala. Yeah, in the starting lineup because he 
because uh, the head coach, Mark Turgeon, said he had a great practice. Therefore, he should be great tonight. Uh, last night, he great wasn't. Great practice. Where have I heard that before? I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and they had terrible inbounds plays, especially the one that doomed them in the end. Basically, what happened was 13 seconds left, Maryland up 54-53. So all they had to do, just inbound it, get fouled, make your free throws. Instead, Marcel, scrambling to try and pass the ball, tried passing it to uh, uh, Anthony Cowan. Brad Davison of uh, the Badgers uh, immediately intercepted it in one swoop, pegged it off uh, Marcel, who was standing out of bounds, went off him. Obviously, Wisconsin ball with 13 seconds. Right. What will happen next? Davidson would get the inbounds pass and nail the three. They're up uh, 56-54, nine seconds left. That was a beautiful three, by the way. Yep, and instead of calling timeout uh, on the inbounds pass when they had one left, and then they used one after because of that, they had one remaining, yeah. you would think that they would go for two and tie the game, send it to overtime. Instead, Anthony Cowan decided to go hero ball, shoot a three like he did against Wisconsin in prior years and like Mel Chimble did in prior years. He missed. Um, the, Eric Ayala tried a desperation three. That missed, and they ended up losing 56-54. Yep, so they play at home against Purdue this Saturday afternoon. Luckily, it's not at Purdue. Otherwise, this would be another loss because Purdue is just that good at home. And the Big Ten teams are actually that good at home. They are, despite the, the rankings, they're like 33-5 and five at home, home teams, including Maryland being 10-0 and 0 at home. And so, uh, and then they go on the road, Maryland, uh, to play more winnable games at, against Northwestern, at Northwestern, and at Indiana, which will be obviously tougher. So, yeah, it's a uh, steps way back for Maryland as they were once ranked number three, now ranked 17, and then possibly uh, a drop of the top 25 because wow. of this. So, Samir said they're seventh in the Big Ten. They're behind Michigan State, Wisconsin, Illinois, Rutgers, Indiana, and Minnesota in that order. Who would have thought Rutgers would be that good? <laughs> Rutgers. I know. Rutgers. Yeah, they're ne- never known for their basketball, usually for their football. Yeah, case. this was just a bad game plan from uh, Mark Turgeon. And like uh, Samir uh, mentioned in a uh, chat earlier today, he's basically Jay Gruden. Let me see. Oh, we had a great practice. We just have to have better. We just have to execute better. Oh, poor game, clock man. Right? Poor clock management. Oh, that is familiar. Yep, more of the same. Right. And, and uh, I think, and those loud uh, chants of fire turgeon are louder than ever. Poor turgeon. We're gonna we're gonna have to see how he lasts throughout the season. Um, so, in order to um, because of time constraints. I'm going to quickly go through a couple of the um, the top headlines for NBA. Um, the biggest headline right now is uh, Pelicans forward uh, Zion Williamson is expected to come back January 22nd, making his NBA debut versus the Spurs. This is after a knee injury that had um, hurt him or plagued him throughout the summertime. Um, people have been expecting this for quite some time. We didn't know whether or not he would come back this season, um, but it's finally been announced. In, in fact, Vegas still has his um, odds as 12-1 to <laughs> to win Rookie of the Year. This despite is, missing half the season. Exactly, despite missing half the season. And also how considerable that is because you've got players like John Morant who's going off, which is the other headline that we have. John Morant 
um, went off again um, versus Harden and the and the Rockets. Um, he's beginning on a season that has basically been an all-star level season. Um, he's done very well for the Grizzlies, um, which has been um, one of the um, parts of the storylines of how these younger players have stepped up. Guys like Brandon, uh, Brandon Ingram, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who um, Samir was telling us before the podcast had a 20-20-10 game. Which is um, twenty rebounds for a guard. For a guard, I mean that's <laughs> that is phenomenal. And then you know, obviously guys like Luka Doncic, wow. um, who's um, MVP cal- um, caliber uh, or MVP candidate um, for this year. So young guys are stepping up around the league, and they've been putting on shows. Kawhi, speaking of putting on shows, Kawhi also put on a show against um, against uh, who did they play last night. I want to um, say. Um... Not Warriors, but they did play against a team and they blew him out. So yeah, they that's blew why. him out, and he cooked for 43 points in three quarters, um, which is pretty impressive. This is after a while, you know, Kawhi's kind of been on and off, obviously with, you know, the injuries and obviously with uh, kind of more game management yeah. um, rather than injuries. Um, so it's good to see this spurt out of Kawhi. We know he's a capable scorer, but to see this him score 43 and three quarters – Shows how impressive a score he really is. Um, D. Rose was also fined for throwing a pen to, um, a couple of days ago. Um, we'll see how that turns out. Um, never really heard of that on the NBA <laughs> um, team. You know, somebody being fined for throwing a pen. Um, so I found that was kind of kind of interesting. Um, we're gonna skip our our weekly kind of midseason report um, for today. Um, we'll probably get to that next week. Um, but those are generally what's going around the NBA. Obviously, all-star voting continues as well. Um, Kar- uh, one more um, uh, headline also, Kyrie came back. He uh, made his debut after, yeah, several yeah, months. Several months, and he had a fantastic game. Um, in the next, last two games, he's been averaging 20, 26 points, 26.5 points, 7 assists, Washington 73% from the field, 22-30. I mean, that's crazy efficiency. Uh, four for six from beyond the arc, which is a 66%. So Kyrie seems like he's ha- healthy, happy, and uh, back to play for the uh, uh, Brooklyn Nets. And then before we finish out um, um, the podcast, there's one other thing I want to announce real quick, which is a UFC matchup between Conor McGregor and Donald Cerrone, which is going down this weekend, Saturday at 10 p.m., this is Conor McGregor's longtime comeback after basically taking a two to three year, well, more like a year hiatus um, after several um, um, instances with um, in Fort law enforcement um, with an older man basically punching an old man. Um, it's been a long time since we've seen Conor McGregor back in the octagon. He faces Donald Cerrone, a guy who um, holds a lot of records in the UFC books for most games played, most games won, or most games won by submission, most knockouts by um, by a leg kick. Um, Donald Cerrone is one of those guys who is like an Iron Man of the, of the UFC. Um, so it should be an interesting matchup this weekend. I unfortunately will not be able to see it, but I hope you guys get a chance to see it. It should be interesting um, to see Conor McGregor's comeback against the Iron Man in the UFC. Um, so we should see how that happens. But it looks like it's going to be an exciting matchup, um, and we'll see who ends up winning. I have Conor McGregor in three. So it'll be a fun matchup, so we'll see um, what turns out on Saturday. It's going to be fun either way. Um, you guys, get your popcorn ready and uh, get ready for a show.
Yep, and so that's going to do it for our second episode of Season 2 of 2020 of the Spin Move Podcast. Once again, this is Samir with Nathan and Paolo. You can find us on uh, Spotify, on uh, Apple Podcasts, or Google Play, on any of those media, or you can find us on Twitter at Spin Move Podcast. Feel free to pass us on to your friends, friend, family, and colleagues. So next week, what's in store is that we'll recap the conference championships, NFL conference championships, talk about the uh, MLB inductees, Hall of Fame inductees, and along with giving uh, our midseason review of the NBA and a lot more uh, other stuff to cover. Is it the All-Star game and trading deadline they're approaching soon? Yeah, the trading deadline first in the first the first week of Feb. So that's like right after. And the first week of Feb is the Super Bowl. Yep, so. so. We're going to have a lot coming up. And XFL, which we're going to have to get into as well. Yep, a lot of local ties there. And so, for Samir, Paolo, and Nathan, signing off. Take care, guys. Good night. And enjoy your Martin Luther King weekend. That's right.